So on Wednesday night, I kind of talked about I'd been looking at some Gallup polls, some surveys of different things that have been going on. And in 2020, I actually found out that 34% of the people that were polled actually labeled themselves as Christians, evangelicals, or as born again. And what I thought was interesting, 34% said that they were Christians, but yet 53% of the people polled said that religion or religious beliefs could actually answer all or the majority of life's problems. But yet only 20, uh, 34% actually labeled themselves as Christians. And Gallup actually identified three core Christian beliefs. And the first one was that the Bible is the word of God. The second was that as a Christian, you do evangelism. So you go out and you talk to your family and your friends or other people about Jesus Christ. And the third was that you had a born-again moment, that you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So these are three beliefs, and I believe we could all, each one of us say, yes, them are core values of being a Christian. However, in that same poll, only 22% of those who said they were born again believed in these three values, which I find pretty interesting. So it seems that here in America, many people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. However, what they actually believe may question if they're really Christians or not. And there was an author, and his name is Ron Sider. He actually wrote a book called The Scandal of Evangelical Conscience. And it kind of goes with the Gallup polls on, on what they have to say. And in a review of his book, he actually says this. His conclusion is that there is widespread blatant disobedience and among those who claim to be evangelicals. And he pointed out different, five different areas of human behavior that he measured this against within the evangelical community. And it was um, divorce, materialism in the poor, sexual disobedience, racism, and social uh, spousal abuse in marriage inside Christian homes. And in light of his survey, he actually argued that there was a stark contrast between what we see in the New Testament Christianity and what we see Christianity is today. So Sider concludes that within evangelical circles, um, people have basically reduced the gospel to just a formula of forgiveness of sins. Well, Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins, and that's it. That's what it has come down to in a lot of evangelicals' lives today. It's about the forgiveness of sins and nothing more. You know, and I think it's interesting that it doesn't take into that transformation of our lives that Jesus does. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he transforms us from the inside out. And when you look at the polls, it looks like that's not happening. It's more of a feel-good moment. I felt good. Yeah, I've accepted Christ. I'm a follower. And then just go about life as normal. And believe it or not, it isn't the first time in church history or in the first time going through God's word that this has happened. Our scripture today, actually the indictment in today's scripture, kind of touches on this same subject. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 33. 
And we're going to be in verses 21 through 33 today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up. If not, there is a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. And if you um, still don't want to, we'll have it up on the screen here. And as a reminder, if you're watching online, I encourage you to have a Bible, but they'll also hopefully be across the bottom of the screen with you. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read. Ezekiel 33, verses 21 through 33. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped, and he had opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord, you eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes toward your idols, and you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword and you commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field, I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall Die of pestilence, for I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be, in, shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land most desolate, because all of all their abominations which they have committed. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, Lord, we ask that you open up our eyes so that we may see what it is you want us to see. Open our hearts so we may receive your word. And Lord, may my words bring glory to you as we make this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context of these words, actually, very, it's a very significant time um, in the history of God's people. You know, as you know, as we've been reading through um, the book of Ezekiel, God's condemnation on his people is a real thing. And he continues to have Ezekiel speak 
of their sin and the condemnation that they've been doing. And even back in Ezekiel 1, it's interesting, Ezekiel, he wrote it was the fifth year. It was the fifth year of their exile in uh, Babylon. Now in Ezekiel 33, we see it's the 12th year. He's been there for seven years. He's been there for seven years, pointing out the sins and the condemnation of the people of Israel, and even talking about how Jerusalem was going to fall for seven years. Now, I know, just like some of us, I've been hearing it for seven years. It's not going to happen. He's not a prophet. He don't know what he's talking about. Nebuchadnezzar had come to Jerusalem. He attacked it. He overcame it. Sent, people, sent a group to Babylon and kept some inside Jerusalem and even put, appointed a Jew as a king. And for seven years, Ezekiel has been prophesying about the sin of the people. And they still weren't listening. He'd been prophesying from exile in Babylon about what they were doing in Jerusalem and the sin that they had and that it was going to fall. And they didn't believe him. You know, they had to hope that Nebuchadnezzar would fall. They had to hope that something would happen so they could return to their promised land. And then we get to Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel 24, he talks about Jerusalem falling again. And as we see here today, in Ezekiel 33, the city has been captured. The city has been captured. So everything Ezekiel had been talking about was coming true. All of the prophecy from God was now coming true, and the people had to see it. That had to be some devastating news. Had to be devastating. We put up a fight for seven years. I've listened to this for seven years. We had hope. We prayed to God about it. We knew that God would do something, but yet the city was still captured. It was the final nail in their coffin. And their hopes of return to their promised land was basically washed away with them simple words. The city has been captured. You figure there was a lot of mourning going on, a lot of sorrow. And even it's interesting in Psalm 37, it talks about that their sorrow and that their sin, they would have to sing their songs to Zion from a captured land. And this is exactly what was going on. They were in a captured land having to sing their sorrows because the news of Jerusalem falling had to be bad. You figure it had to be a crisis of their faith for the people in exile of, wait, God chose us and he just took our country away. Well, how many times do we have that crisis in our faith that maybe someone in our family suddenly passes away and it's all of a sudden we don't expect it? Or maybe you get let go from a job. Or maybe someone who was a real friend who you thought was a friend of yours all of a sudden just lets you down. And you start getting in a crisis mode. Because we all do it. We all have a time in our life when we end up having the same type of crisis. We believe that God's going to do something and then it doesn't happen. And we get in this crisis. And then you start asking yourself, well, where are you, God? And then the question becomes, are you actually taking that crisis situation to grow closer to God? Or do you try and do it on your own and you end up getting farther away from God? 
because you try and do it yourself. And you try and say, that's okay, God, I don't need you. I can do this myself. And we get careless about what God's trying to do in our life, and we try and take over ourselves. I'm here to tell you you're not alone because I do it myself all the time. And here for Israel, it was a time that they wondered about God. They wondered, where are you, God? What are you doing? And I think this is the context of this message that we're going to see here in Ezekiel. And in verses 30 through 33, I think that's the context in the way it was actually written. And it's very powerful for the Israelites then, but I think it can also be very powerful for us today. And in Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 33, it says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come to hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as they are a lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. What a watershed moment. What a watershed moment for these people. Having to listen to what God says. And I think there's three statements in here that we can really take to heart and I think really talks about what was going on in the time of Ezekiel that we also see going on today. And I think the first one was listening or hearing, but not doing. Hearing God's word, hearing it, knowing what it is, listening about it, but not doing what it calls us to do. And I think the people in exile were curious. They wanted to hear what God had to say. It says they came. The elders often did come to listen to what Ezekiel had to say. And you can actually see that in chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. Then again here, it talks about them coming for the occasion. They wanted to come. They wanted to hear what Ezekiel had to say, and they wanted to hear that word from the Lord. They were interested. And we do the same thing. We come to church every Sunday. People come to church because they want to hear the word of the Lord. Maybe you listen to a podcast, you watch a video. We're eager to spend time in God's word, and we take all of this time digging in to what God's word says, and then we leave it right there. We don't apply it in our lives. We don't start moving forward, and we don't do what God's word says. We may do a little bit here and there, but we don't always do what it says. Here they listened to Ezekiel for seven years talk about how Jerusalem was going to fall. And they didn't believe him. And now they pretty much got to be able to say, well, Ezekiel, you know what? You're right. You were right. How many times do we look back and go, man, God, you were right. You were right and I was wrong. You spoke to me about this in your word. You spoke to me about this in a sermon. 
I listened to this and you spoke to me about this and I didn't do it. I wasn't obedient to what you called me to do. And man, God, you were right and I was wrong. That's a hard thing to say. Because we don't ever want to admit when we're wrong. It did, but I was woo, woo, woo. You know? We got to be able to admit when we were wrong. And we see this even in Ezekiel that the people were coming. And it's interesting that you see in verses 30 and 31 that the people were actually talking about Ezekiel's message. So they were talking about what he had to say. So they were interested in it. They wanted to come. They wanted to listen to him speak. And I think it's interesting because this is probably one of the only religious meetings where that was never so well attended. Everyone showed up for this religious meeting because they wanted to hear what Ezekiel had to say. They wanted to hear it. And the only problem was the message of God only went as far as their ears. That's as far as it went. It went to their ears, and the judgment of God against these people at this time was that they do not put it into practice. They do not put it into practice. And I think God could really tell us that today. We do not put his word into practice. You know, earlier I mentioned the polls from... um, Ron, uh, from, yeah, from Gallup, and I mentioned about Ron Sider, and, and one of the things it says is, ours is not the only age that treats God's spokesmen as public entertainment. And I think a lot of times that's what you see today. A lot of churches, it's all about the entertainment factor. It's all about the wow Let's have all these lights going off. Let's have hazers going off. Let's have people come up and dance on stage. Let's bring the people in, as I talked about last week. Sex sells, so let's talk about sex and let people come into church. And that's not what God's Word tells us to do. But yet we see it all the time. Because in so many places, church has become nothing but public entertainment. Instead of being about God's Word and being about what he calls us to do. You know, these Jewish exiles entertained the words of Jeremiah also. When there was a crisis coming up, and the fall of Jerusalem was about to happen, there was actually a couple guards in Jeremiah 42, 43, that a group of army, they wanted to know, hey, you know, should we leave and run to Egypt with, our other, with the other people? So they summoned Jeremiah, and they asked Jeremiah, hey, go get us the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah went away for 10 days, and when he came back, he told the people, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. To whom you sent me to be present, your petition says, stay in this land, and I will build you up. And after Jeremiah delivered the message, their response to him, you are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you. How many times do we do that? I need to know what God's got to say, and you take time and you pray about it, you fast about it, and then God gives you the word? No, that ain't for me. Oh, he must be talking about someone else. That's not for me. That must be for my wife. (laughs) Patty, this is what God told me to tell you, (laughs) because it's not for me. (laughs) They wanted to hear it, and they heard this message eagerly, but they weren't obedient to what God called them to do. 
Jesus even talked to the Pharisees about the same thing in Matthew 15, 3. He accused them, and when he said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, we talked about tradition last week, so I'll leave that under the carpet. Uh, But their involvement with God was nothing but their ear. They didn't obey what God called them to do. They were careful to listen to God's word, but they didn't follow it, and they weren't obedient to what it called them to be. And you see the poll by Gallup shows that that there are many today who listen to the word of God, but still the same way, they're not applying it, and they're not doing what it calls them to do. The ears of many church people are going, and the ears of most evangelical Christians are interested in what God's got to say, and they're willing to come to church every Sunday. They're willing to sing songs. They're willing to do whatever it calls for and listen to God's word, but they don't want to do it. That sounds good, pastor, but you don't know. And then you go back outside the door and do exactly what the world's calling you to do instead of what God's word's calling you to do. You see, the ears are in tune, but the will is not. We will listen to God's word, and I think a lot of times we need to be reminded of what it says in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. That's pretty simple. Do what it says. I should say that sounds pretty simple, do what it says. But then we got to go outside these doors and do what it says. And the people around us might not like us doing what it says. It might not appreciate us doing what God's word tells us to do. But that's exactly what is going on here and what we actually see today. I think another thing is they had a mouth devotion, but they had self-centered hearts. And you see this, the hypocrisy may go even deeper. In verse 31b, it actually says, with their mouths, they show much love. So once again, we see something that is very good. And likely the Jews that actually were in the exile were worshiping God, you know, in their synagogues. And they were speaking to one another about the good deeds of God. And I'm sure they probably even had Passover meals together and they celebrated the Passover And on the Passover, they'd ask the question, why is this night different than any other night? And I'm sure they would answer that question. They'd celebrate all the good things that God did. They celebrate the goodness of God, all of the mighty deeds of God. And they were never shy about affirming who God was. But the text tells us that their hearts pursue their own gain. So even everything that God has done, all the wonderful things that God's done in their life, they pursue their own gain. Now, it's interesting, the Message Bible actually says all they care about is making money and getting ahead. Sound like anyone you know? That's a rhetorical question, don't answer. The NIV actually says their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Now, it's interesting, according to the NIV, you would think or have the impression that they were dishonest cheaters. They were nothing about trying to get some type of unjust gain. Where the others kind of, you know, put it, it was simply some type of gain. And the point, I think, is that it really points to being self-centered. When it becomes all about yourself, 
It's more being a self-centeredness. You know, they're looking for that self-centeredness or that gain that they can get to it. <clears throat> and they said they were interested in things of God, but yet they declared, even declared that God was wonderful, and they even witnessed about God's amazing deeds, but it just wasn't genuine. General, genuine. They were giving lip service. They were talking the talk, but they weren't walking the walk. I think a lot of us are really good at talking the talk. We can talk all about God. We can talk about what he's done in our life, but then we got to actually walk the walk. That's where it becomes a problem. Because there's things out there that are going to prevent us from walking the walk or things that we're going to allow to prevent us from walking the walk. And you see their mouth was in tune, but their heart and their will is not in tune with what God called them to do. You know, it's interesting, Luke 16, 4, Luke comments about the Pharisees saying that although they appear to be deeply concerned about all the things of God, in reality, all they did was love money. So you kind of see the same thing happening. So it happened in Ezekiel's time. You see, Luke talked about it to the Pharisees, and we could probably talk about the same thing today because it's all about the money, money, money instead of all being about God and what his word calls us to do. So they express devotions with their, you know, we express devotion with our mouth in worship. We worship God, we devotion and verbal declaration of who God is. We do it through song, we proclaim with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It even says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So it is something that we, can, we do, oh, wow. <laughs> that we do proclaim with our mouths, but perhaps there's a quite uh, vocal, you know, we're not quite as vocal telling others about Jesus as much as we should be. But you know, it's interesting. We come here on a Sunday and we sing songs to the Lord. We praise him. We affirm the witness of who God is. We go out during the week, we witness of the good thing of God, and we agree that God is wonderful. We agree that God really cares for us. But is God really that important in our life? Or are we just saying it with our mouth and not living it out with our lives? Is our first love God? Or is our first love ourselves? That's an interesting question. We're very quick to say, hey, God's number one in my life, but is he really number one? Or are you kind of number one and God's just there to when you need to talk about God? I think sometimes there's that contradiction between what our mouths declare and what our hearts are truly passionate about. I think the next thing they did was they talked about enjoying song. They enjoyed the songs, but they ignored the words. <clears throat> At the end of verse 32, you know, I wondered if it was a picture of, to illustrate, you know, the points that were made previously or something different. And in verse, uh, it goes on, it says, Indeed you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. 
See, music can deeply change our hearts. We can hear a song and it can just automatically bring that warm feeling inside of us. Each one of us has a song that we can just go to when we're down and out and just know that it's going to lift us up. And we're able to sing praises to God through worship and through certain different songs. And maybe it's the melody of an instrument. You know, there's just an instrument that when you hear it, just sums things up inside of you. I can tell you I cannot listen to the song Amazing Grace on bagpipes because I will cry like a baby. There is just something about hearing that on bagpipes that just stirs inside of me. I can listen to it any other way, but don't play it on bagpipes because Pastor Ken's going to be crying like a baby. But it's amazing how we can take that and we can listen to a song and it just stirs up inside of us. And each one of us maybe have a different song that does it. We have a different song that really fills us from the inside and makes us want to worship God. And it's a great thing, but now here's the other question. If that song really makes you feel deep inside and you want to worship God, do you actually do what the song says? Do you actually do what the song calls you to do? One of my favorite songs is I Surrender All. Love the song. I love the melody. I love the words of it. But when I was doing this sermon, I got to thinking, wow, you know, I really like that song. And I like the words and I like the melody. But do I actually do what it calls? Do I do what that song calls me to do? All to him I freely give. Do I really do that? You know, I feel all warm and fuzzy inside when I hear the song and I want to praise him, but do I actually do? Do I freely give it to him? Do I humbly at his feet I bow? Or mainly worldly possessions are all forsaken. Do I surrender all to God? Or is it just a song that sounds good, that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy? This is exactly what they were doing. They loved the song, they loved the melody, but that was exactly it. Might as well just play them a good old country song. Or play them something that they enjoyed. Because that's all it was, was about the melody and about the words, but they weren't going to do what it said. I think sometimes we get caught the same way. We can listen to a song that brings us into the presence of God and not even do what the song calls us to do. Not even do what it calls us to do. You see, our involvement in God's way is also often only in our emotions. It is all about the emotions and how we feel at that certain time. And I believe the exiles themselves were quite willing to grant this successful prophet popularity, but they treated him as mere entertainment. What about us? Do we just treat church, listening to the word of God, singing, worshiping God, do we just look at it as entertainment? Or do we look at it as it says in 1 John 3.18, where it encourages, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 
So do we actually do what God's word calls us? And will it motivate us? Will it move us to be obedient to what God's called us to be? Or will we simply just talk the talk, feel good moment, treat it as entertainment, and move on? You know, it's interesting. We just recently watched the, got to watch the national championship uh, college football and, of course, the Super Bowl for anyone who watched the Super Bowl. And it's interesting. If you look at athletes, you know, we got the Olympics getting ready to come up. If an athlete knows they're going to win or they have the, the chance of winning, if they've got a chance to win the game or win the race or win the gold medal, what do they do? Their practice generally emulates that winningness. Everything they do is about the greatness in doing the best that they can. And ultimately, by what they do and taking that time to practice and doing the fundamentals over and over and over again, they get that much better that when they get out there, winning is a byproduct of all the training that they did. Now, you think about it. If someone knows, hey, you know what? I am never going to win this 100-yard dash. It ain't going to happen. How are they going to train? Are they going to really train to win, or are they just going to kind of haphazardly go through the motions? Because, hey, I know I'm not going to win. You know, there's football teams out there that, you know, would sit there and say, oh, man, we got Alabama on our schedule. That's a loss. I don't know. Next year, y'all open against UM. Might not be that easy. For us, I'm just saying that. <laughs> but you got to do the fundamental things. Do the fundamentals. If we're taking time in his word and we're worshiping God and we're taking time listening and praising him with our mouths, we need to let it go past just our ears. Let it get to our hearts. We need to not let it just be across our mouth and across our lips, but we need to be able to walk that walk, not only talk that talk. Take the fundamentals and do them each and every day. It makes you stronger and faster and ready to run that race. Being obedient to what he calls us to be. Ezekiel 33:33 says, And when this comes to pass, surely it will come when they will know that a prophet has been among them. You know, I think this final verse is actually encouragement to the exiles. You think about the word when. When suggests that it's a time coming. When it's going to be coming. And then I think that phrase, this come true, points to the fulfillment of God's promises. It points to the promises that God will restore Jerusalem at some day. And we know we've got the rest of the Bible, so we know he does end up restoring Jerusalem. But in this point, it's giving them exiles that hope that God will do what God says he will do. I think the phrase, surely it will come, gives that assurance that God's promise will come through. And I think that when Ezekiel says, then they will know, he presents that perspective of things and invites the people to understand that since God will, uh, since God will accomplish his work, that they need to be obedient and listening 
and doing God's work every day. And I think that same wisdom would help us today. I think that same thing with our earthly mentality or a defeatist um, attitude, it's hard to be generous to the poor. And I think to live that holy life, it becomes so much easier. As we live that holy life, we can truly love one another as ourselves. We can truly be our brother's keeper. We can do everything that God calls us to do if we just change our perspective. You know, it's interesting. I've read about a person who went to lectures given by the late Stephen Hawking. And if you get, he actually wrote a thing that says, if you've ever heard him speak, you're bound, you know, you may not know who he was, but you've at least heard of him. And remember, Stephen Hawking was a scientist. He was basically all paralyzed. He had a uh, neuro disease. And when people would talk, and he would actually go to a place where they would have open discussion. Someone would ask him a question, and he would painstakingly, with about the only muscle he could, pick out words on a computer screen on his wheelchair. And he would painstakingly pick out the words. So when someone would ask a question, it would take him 10 to 15 minutes just to get an answer. And then once he had it all out, the computer would basically say what he had to say. And it's interesting that they said during that time when someone would ask him a question, and even if it took 10 to 15 minutes, the crowd was quiet. They were waiting to hear his response. No one would stand up and say, well, because he's not answering, here's the answer. Because remember, Steve Hawkins was supposedly one of the smartest uh, theoretic theoretical physicists in the world. And if you jumped up and answered the question, odds are you were probably going to be wrong because the guy was smart. So these people would sit there and just wait. And if Stephen Hawking actually said something they didn't agree with, they wouldn't get up and rant about it because, again, they could be wrong because of who he was. They revered who Stephen, Stephen Hawking was because of his intellect, because of who he was. So they would ponder anything that he said to say, oh, well, maybe this is right. Maybe i got to change my way of thinking. Why don't we do that when God speaks? Why don't we do that when God speaks? The creator of the world speaks through his word. And when it comes time to listen to him, and it may take a little bit of time, we interject with our own response. Knowing that we're probably going to be wrong because he's the creator of the world and he knows everything, but we'll interject. And God forbid if his word says something we don't agree with. I don't agree with that. But it's God's word. The creator of the universe, creator of the heavens and heaven and the earth, knows you intimately. And you're going to say, well, sorry, God, you're wrong. People in the world say it all the time. How can you believe in that God? But yet people would sit there and listen to a theoretical physicist and not say a word because of his intellect, but we won't listen to God the same way.
And I think it comes down to we need to recognize who God is compared to who we are. And if we're going to take time to dig into his word, we need to be obedient to what it calls us to do. We may not always like what it has to say, but it's God's word. It's what we believe as Christians. The Bible is the word of God. We're called to do what it says. And I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say, we've got to do what it says. It needs to go into our ears. It needs to go to our heart. We need to be obedient. We need to go out there and we need to change the world. Sounds good. Pastor Ken, you don't know what my family's like. Man, dudes on my team ain't going to want to hear this. We can still be that shining light and not beat people over the head. We can still be obedient to what God calls us to do because it's what he calls us to do. He may call someone else to do something different. Each one of us have a different function here on earth. Each one of us have a different path that God's taken us down. But each one of us can be a light. Each one of us can take what we hear from God's word. Each one of us can take what God calls us to do and make a change in somebody else's life. We can plant a seed or maybe be the one who's watering the seed that someone else planted. We may never see the harvest. We may never reap it. But you'll find out when you're in heaven. All of a sudden, you're going to see that person and be like, oh, I remember when I witnessed to them, and they laughed at me. Look at them now up here in heaven with me, <laughs> walking on streets of gold. Be obedient. Hear what God's word says and do what God's word says. Don't just be hearers. Be doers of what God's word says. And, you know, maybe when you come out, you're like, well, Pastor Ken, I don't know this Jesus guy that you're talking about. Well, that's okay. We can make that happen. You can come down during the final song. We'll have a conversation because we're all sinners and we all fall short. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm never going to be good enough for God to accept me, that's okay. He's going to accept you just the way you are. He will accept you just the way you are and then radically change your life. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The problem is that's so simple. It sounds so easy. All I got to do is say it. But then comes the doing. Then comes the obedience of what he calls you to do. Going and making disciples of all nations. Loving one another. That's when it gets hard. But that's when we need to know who he is and who we are and continue to move forward. And you know, maybe you've just been going through this life and you've been hearing God's word and you haven't been doing it. Maybe you're stuck in the past and you're stuck on tradition or you're just stuck on something. Maybe you like listening to the sound of the music, but you don't like doing what the words tell you to do. Each one of us has something. And during this final song, maybe you just need to come up. If you need some prayer, come up to me. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. We can just come up and kneel at the altar.
and give it to God. Each one of us has something. So, Heavenly Father, I raise up this congregation to you, Lord. Lord, that they will not only be hearers of your word, but they will be doers of your word. That we will be obedient to what you call us to do, and that we will walk with faith knowing that you are by our side. Lord, that we would not only just listen to them songs and sing praise to you, but we will do what it calls us to do. That we will surrender all to you. And Lord, make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.